Hi friends, I'm Momi, your host. And I'm Hina, your other host. This is a show where we unpack our trauma through movies and television. You know, like adults. We've been best friends for 10 years, so there's a lot of trauma. Every episode, we give unfiltered advice to fictional relationships, romantic, platonic, or otherwise. You get all the satisfaction of spilling tea without any of the consequences. It's like a Tumblr fever dream, circa 2009, we promise to keep our use of the terms ship and OTP to an absolute minimum. This is Parasocial. Welcome to the first episode of Parasocial. Hello, listeners. Hello. Hi. What's the up? first episode. We are talking about the Netflix show You. Yes. Not you as in you, but you, Y-O-U. <laughs> it is a wonderful show featuring Penn Badgley. Did you watch Gossip Girl? No, I didn't actually. He's Gossip Girl in Gossip Girl. Oh. And he ends up being, I think his his pseudonym is Lonely Boy, which is very apt for the show. Huh. That, that's like it's eerily similar. Yeah. To he this. only plays creeps, essentially, even though he's so hot, which is why it works. What in the world? Yes. I mean, that's a choice. You know what? That's a choice. It's bold. Yeah. So today we are, in honor of this episode, we are drinking our signature drink. It is called the Peach Seltzer, question mark? The Peach Salinger, question mark? Salinger. I think Salinger. The Peach Salinger. Yeah. 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 It's a cute peach rum with Snapple and sangria and a little club soda. We'll post it on our Instagram so that you also can make your Peach Salinger and honor honor the dead, I guess. (laughs) Honor the dead. As you drink it. So you is like a subversive look at the classic rom-com in a relationship. So if all the abuse Stephanie Meyer was trying to pass off as like cute and protective and like Edward just loves Bella so much. Joe is like, we get to finally acknowledge how creepy and weird he is, which is satisfying. And if you haven't watched the show, there is going to be spoilers. So pause this episode, binge, binge all of the season and then come back and chat about it with us. Right. But this is your last warning. There will be spoilers. Or don't watch the show if you don't want to and listen to this episode. That's perfectly fine. Watch the show. Watch the, the show. The point it's is, good. watch the show. Yes. For those of you that did watch the show and don't really remember, we're going to be giving you some refreshers. So, we are splitting the season into acts. There's four acts. It's not in the show, but this is how we are trying to think about it. So, act one is called, I Think Women Need Saving. And so... <laughs> By the way, I haven't heard any of this, so I don't know what she's going to say, but also yes. Sorry. So I think Women Need Saving begins like this. A girl named Guinevere Beck, who's kind of like a hipster yoga instructor type queen, she walks into a bookstore and she starts flirting with a bookstore clerk named Joe Goldberg. Believing it's love at first sight, Joe uses all of the information that she purchased her book with and tracks her down on social media. And then he starts stalking her on the internet. And in real life. You know, like, how you do that? Oh, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For everybody. (laughs) Coming out the closet. Uh, So while he's snooping, he finds out that Beck is already sleeping with a douchebag named Benji. Which, I mean, his name is Benji, right? Uh, Later that night, he sees Beck fall into the subway tracks drunk. He saves her, but he steals her phone. And in his psycho brain, Joe thinks that douchebag Benji is the source of all of Beck's insecurities and turmoil, i.e. the reason that she got drunk and fell in the subway tracks. I mean, douchebags are a source of turmoil. Sure. Don't get us wrong. But they don't make you get drunk. In in defense of douchebags, (laughs) they can't make you get drunk and fall on the subway tracks. Who'd have thunk? First episode, we'd be defending the douchebag. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) Joe then does what anyone would do and lures him into the bookstore basement and hits him over the head with a mallet and then locks him in a plexiglass book vault because that's your punishment for being a douchebag. Right. You got to go on time out. The fuck up. Yeah. Lock his ass up. (laughs) So while Joe's dealing with Benji, Beck is trying to get close to her English professor, hoping he'll help her with her writing. But instead, he makes a pass at her. And we find out that Beck isn't the first teaching assistant that he's tried to make his bedroom assistant. (laughs) No, stop. Stop it right now. This is illegal. That joke was illegal. I just want you to know that shit was fucking illegal. I think we should call everyone bedroom assistants from now on. So when he tries to get her student housing taken away, she threatens to expose him. But back in the book vault, Benji has already told Joe everything he needs to know about Beck. So he kills him. 
And thinking Joe, sorry, not thinking Joe, thinking Benji ghosted her, Beck starts sleeping with dudes to get over him. So Joe makes it his mission to convince her that he's the one. We then meet Pete Salinger, the namesake of our drink, and Beck's filthy rich friend who has a superiority complex. She's getting bad vibes from Joe, but it's clear that Peach also has really bad vibes. She bitch. Um, and Joe and Beck get vulnerable. Beck talks about her dead father. They have sex. And then Bo, Bo? And then Joe prematurely ejaculates. <laughs> and scene. And scene. Also, <laughs> wait, wait. There's just so much to unpack here. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> raise your hand if you've uh, experienced premature ejaculation. You can't see it, but I'm raising my hand. We're both for raising all our hands because it's a thing. We've all done it. We've all been here. Well, okay, we haven't all done it, but yeah, we've yeah. all been you, there. Have you ever prematurely ejaculated? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the time. What do you mean? Well, this is my question. Has there ever been a I'm probably showing my ignorance and like I don't know shit about human anatomy, blah blah blah. It can't do <laughs> can and do women prematurely ejaculate. I don't think I don't think so. Wait, it's does that count squirting? Jesus, no, I was just talking about coming too soon. <laughs> oh, okay. I was just like, I think I was really caught up in the imagery of it. I don't know okay. why. Like, okay, moving on. Let's just let that let that die. Yes, the answer is I think so. So we've all done it, and it's about creating a safe space. <laughs> yes. Which Beck doesn't do. Absolutely not, because she bails. She gets weird about it for sure. She like she rolls over to the side. But it's also the first time we hear her inner commentary. Which is as basic as we thought it was going to be. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I mean, no offense to all the the basic women, bitches, whatever you, you want to call them. We love you. We need you. You're an inspiration sometimes. Yeah. And um, the issue is that <laughs> I was hoping, like I think, in the very first time I watched this show, I was really hoping that if we did get to hear Beck's like inner monologue, yeah, that there would just be more there. Like, she would, we would really get to understand how she really feels about the things Joe's doing. Mm. Or get a really clear view of how she's perceiving Joe, in a sense. Yeah. But her monologue just feels very, like, reactionary. That's true, but I think that that boils down to this whole thing of Joe building her up, right? Oh, yeah. Is that she is this fantasy princess. She is going to show me the meaning of of life and of love and the skies are going to open and she's going to come down like this beautiful angel in these like lovely Victoria's Secret wings and she's just going to be it. And then I think as time goes on, we realize that Joe is just not Joe. Beck is just a regular girl. She's just a regular person. She's, She's a peasant like the rest of us. Yes. We are peasants. She we're is a peasant. Peasants. I mean, we're queens, but we're peasant. yes. peasants. Yes. You know what I mean? Both like... and. Both and. And I think so, yeah. The thing that I was thinking about the most is I feel like this is kind of a commentary on that feeling that people have, but I'm going to say specifically women, which is this fantasy that I'm going to walk into a room and the world's going to fade away. And that shitty DJ, the shitty DJ, DJ? that shitty DJ that's like playing my Miami Beach spring break is going to see me and point at me and he's going to say, I want you. It's like to be the ultimate envisioning of being seen. Right. That I will be chosen. Yeah. To be chosen by him. Right. Well, especially with all the work we fucking do. Plus. We do a lot of fucking work. We get Just cute to, to get room. cute no matter what. Yeah. But I think that's like, when that happens to me, I will know that I found the one. Because that's what it is to find the one, is that... Right. That's how it's given to us, right? right. Or shown to us in fucking everywhere, right? In books, yeah. in movies, in magazines. That's just how it's portrayed to be. And in reality, it ain't like that. How do you break that, though? The fantasy of, I want to be completely seen by someone and I want them to once they see me to never consider that there is another human woman alive on the planet anymore I'm the only one left and they can't they, like now people fade away and they just become like Charlie Brown characters like yeah they don't even have autonomy or an opinion or anything they're just there. white noise and I am the end all be all yes how do you stop wanting that I think 
therapy. <laughs> I oh, literally, I was going to say therapy. Yeah. Um, number one, therapy. Number two, I think that illusion is broken when it's proven wrong. And I think we all have that moment in our life where we thought we were that someone for someone, right. whether that's your first love or your fifth. Yeah. You at some point in your life, you were feeling some type of way mm-hmm. and you assumed the other person was also on the same page. Right. And then when you realize they're not, well, tends to break the illusion. You kind of get a little, Yeah. it's easy to get jaded from that. And it's also easy to always think of that the next time you feel that way. I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience here. Yeah. Like. Who are you thinking of? Let's give him a name, a fake name on the podcast. uh, We're going to go with Albert because that's the first one I thought of. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, Albert was my first love. Uh I fell head over, like just, I met him. Out your mind. Yeah, just like out of my mind. It was like my first year of college, my first day of college. A little meet cute. A little meet cute uh, at our... A dance class mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I was trying to go into performing arts or whatever and I just remember yeah the room kind of fell away and I was like oh yeah yeah <laughs> let me just make sure I look presentable yeah. in my leggings <laughs> and my tank top yeah and yeah, yeah. uh he kind of like he saw me I saw him and like I went to sat- sit next to him and you know like you know like normal conversations you start with dudes you like you know bring up football because like what else is there to bring sure up? yeah i am likable girl i am not like <laughs> oh my god other i'm not girls. like other girls i like football yeah 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 uh yeah so i did that and then um you know fast forward three months later and we're boyfriend and girlfriend mm-hmm. and that's the first of my <clears throat> very very long relationship it was four and a half years and yeah a lot and he quickly broke the illusion that mm. I was the only and the end all be all. But I mean, you were there for four and a half years. <laughs> so uh, it took a while for the illusion to be broken. You could say that. Um, no, the illusion broke. It just took me a while to like admit defeat. It okay. was more of like I realized I was not the end all be all. And I was like, yeah. no, let me like fuck that feeling. Right. I'm going to prove that feeling. Chasing wrong. the illusion. Yeah. Just by existing. Like I'm yeah, just. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like beating a dead dog, really. For sure. Just, you know, in a relationship. I don't think I've ever had that moment. Really? No. I mean, honestly, knowing knowing you, though, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I definitely, like, cued in. I'm like, oh, you're extra cute. But I've never, like... You're too... Like, the way that you view the world and yeah. what you think, in my opinion, you're too calculated for that to ever be an option. Yeah. Because you, like, for you to get into that headspace, you yeah. gotta... Logic goes out the fucking window. Sure. There is no logic here, okay? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, emotion. Yeah. It's love. It's, yeah. like, all these things. It's... You haven't had sex in a year and a half. And yeah, 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 yeah. You're ready and rearing to go. Like, it's a lot of those things. And in my mind, I'm going, like, hey, well, the rate of divorce is, like, 50%, right? So what are the chances that we're going <laughs> to we're gonna connect, we're going to have enough things in common, that we're going to also be able to overcome things? Like, the number one reason for divorce is finances, right? Like, who can calculate that? I can't look at you and see how you manage your money, right? Well, so what? <laughs> right. <laughs> what's so the anyway, point in me? If y'all didn't, if you're wondering... <laughs> Oh my god, what's the difference between you two? <laughs> that's it, right there. Okay. The so, main difference. I see I see boy and I go, that's my Pikachu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I choose you. Right. And then he saunters over into the ball, crawls inside, curls up. It's like, <laughs> and I love like, it. Yes, yeah. Good job, Pikachu. That's right. a good Pikachu. Yeah, it's it's that energy. Anyway. I feel like I feel that. So before we move on to act two, I do want to talk about the thing with Benji and how I feel like that is what many of us do when we have a crush on someone, which is that's taken specifically, which is they would be so much better and they would be able to find their potential if only they were with the right person. And that right person is me. Yeah. Because that's what, I mean, that's what he's essentially doing is that it's right. Benji that is her obstacle to, uh nirvana or right and i mean the way that the show sets it up in this specific sense is that like benji is like the absolute worst you could be like he's just such. he makes artisanal soda first of all (laughs) his name is benji which is but it's spelled like japanese like b-e-n-g-j-i it's annoying everything about him is annoying yes it's pretentious 
The beanie is annoying. He dresses like he's homeless, but he also has a Rolex. It's just... He's contradictions wrapped up in a bow. He says words because he feels like it adds flavor to what he's saying. Right. Not because... But it's just a stale piece of white bread. Oh, my God, dude. Like, he... (laughs) Anyway. The things he says, right? But it makes it easy for Joe to be like, oh, my God. Life-changing. Get the fuck... Get rid of Benji, and then everything's great. Right. But, like, also... I need to be Benji. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? He needs to replace himself. And I think the. That kind of brings me back to like this idea that Joe needs to convince himself that he's the knight in shining armor and he has to create that environment around him in order to reinforce it. Right. Right. And so it makes it easier for him to rationalize his psycho commentary as you aptly said yeah because he's being her protector he's saving her she's the princess locked in the tower and he has to save her from the dragon whatever Mm -hmm. the fuck right and so he's he's setting up all of these scenarios for himself to then swoop in and save her from her decisions from the other people in her life from everything well, he's reverse engineering being a nice guy. Yes. Because he isn't. Yes, 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 yes. So I need to create these situations around myself, which I think is a lot of the not genuine nice guys, right? But guys that say that they're nice guys, right? Their narrative is that why don't women love me? Why don't women value me? I'm so nice. But my only motivation in being nice is that I want you to fuck me which is all Joe's thing is, right? It's just to get you. I don't genuinely want to protect you for the sake of doing it. I'm not genuinely looking out for you. I'm looking out for you so that you can witness me looking out for you so that you're impressed by me doing it so that we end up falling in love, right? But I think what's so interesting about Joe is that he doesn't really see that in himself. No, he doesn't. He's very perceptive. Right. Creepily so. About other people. About everyone else except himself. But zero self-awareness. Zero self-awareness. Which aptly leads us to act two that I have named Daddy Issues. <laughs> Pterodactyl sounds. Oh my god. Okay. So, Beck starts acting shady. Texting someone saved in her phone as Captain. Joe being Joe. He follows her over the weekend and finds out that the captain is actually her dad, who is very much not dead. Beck tells Joe that her dad overdosed when she was little, and so that's why it kind of feels like he's dead in theory, which is weird. But Peach is becoming more and more suspicious of Joe. And she's getting, yes. And she's getting hip to the fact that he might be following Joe around. Joe, he might be following Beck around. Oh my God. I, well, also, Peach is just doing it in the most annoying, entitled way she possibly fucking can. It's very, I told you so. Yeah. Yeah. But being the queen of drama, she fakes a suicide attempt to get. Beck back in her clutches. Joe finds hundreds of photos of Beck on Peach's computer, leading him to believe that Peach is actually in love with Beck. Joe realizes there's only one way for his relationship with Beck to move forward without interruption. He has to kill Peach. That's his solution to everything. I have to kill them. So he follows right. her when she's on a run in Central Park yep. and he hits her over the head with a rock. You know when murder is just like option number one? That's the only option. I don't need right. any other. And there's just no option two. It's just not option one. Well, you could make the argument that it's the most concise solution sure it's more concise than any solution that you've ever had right but it's not concise in the sense that uh it's not easy to hide sure you know what i mean it feels concise from a zero consequences standpoint right but in reality it's the least concise because now once they are dead Sure, are they gone? Absolutely, you did that. But now you have to deal with what the dead body, you have to cover the evidence, you have to not get caught, maybe not go to jail. There's just a lot there. I mean, I don't know if we're going to leave this in the episode, but you could make the argument that Joe is a uh, cis, white, heterosexual, middle-class man. Are there consequences? (laughs) I'm going to leave it there. So (laughs) unfortunately for Joe, Peach doesn't die. While recovering, she stays with Beck. And pushes Joe further away, saying something along the lines of like, I don't need negative male energy in my space. It's just too much. So Peach takes Beck to her family's estate in Greenwich, hoping to finally make the move on her romantically. Beck rejects Peach and leaves the estate. But having followed Beck to Greenwich, Joe is hiding out in the estate, 
Peach catches him, a fight ensues, and he shoots her. Jill writes a note on Peach's computer framing what happened to her as a suicide. Murder. Um, I think for me, the whole storyline with Peach and how Joe is working so fucking hard to tear her away from Beck. Yeah. And then realizing when Peach tries to commit suicide, how he's going to lose that fucking battle. Right. Like, I feel like in this show specifically, the only time anyone ever clocks into Joe being fucking crazy is when it's someone who's equally fucking crazy. Yeah. Well, not equally, but like also an asshole. How real do you think that is, though? Do you think that you need... Because the the common saying, right, is that it takes one to know one. Right. Do you think that that is actually true? Do you think that bad people are better at looking out? Do you think that bad people are better at identifying bad people? Or do you think that good people are better at identifying bad people because they are so much different than them? I honestly think bad people are better at cluing out, like sussing out bad people. And I say that because, right... I think when, uh, not that I'm, I think I'm a bad person, it's right. just that when you're in that kind of a headspace, you always think you're better than people mm. around you, right? So you yeah. always think you're, 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 you're half as bad as you really are. Right, right, right. So in a sense, from the, from the asshole's perspective, if I'm not that much of an asshole and I see someone who's not me being a fucking asshole, yeah. yo, they must be awful awful off the charts off the charts right because now in my head i'm a good person so it's kind of both and right so you you think that they're they're subconsciously seeking it out to elevate their sense of self-worth correct i'm looking for people that are worse than me so that i don't need to face how bad right maybe not actively looking but more aware because you're looking, they're you say subconsciously looking. Subconsciously looking because they want to validate their sense of worth. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It also makes sense that I feel like people also see their insecurities in other people. Like, oh, I think yeah, if you have the yeah, same insecurity as someone else, it's like you clock it, yeah, right? Whether absolutely. it's financial relationship body image whatever like if there is a like for like i feel like you smell that blood in the water so much more acutely than people that don't relate or share that insecurity um and i guess kind of on that note i feel like and it's weird to talk about the show because it's hard to not get into this place of victim blaming which i think in some ways the show kind of does on purpose but Beck, in maintaining this huge lie about her dad, could she even have the space and capacity to identify those red flags in Joe? And that I think that's when you stay in bad relationships the longest, is that you have so much stuff going on internally that you are not in a place where you are ready to face the negative things about your relationship. She's lying on the daily to everybody around her, everybody in her life. Oh, yeah. I mean... I. Why would you identify his lies to you? You're lying to everybody. You're lying to yourself every day. Yeah. My dad's dead and he's not dead. That's the that's the biggest. That's the only lie bigger is Joe murdering people. Yes, that's the only lie bigger. Yeah, it's the second biggest lie in the show. Right, because it's. I find it a little insane that Joe. Joe still wants to save her in that sense. Like, the amount of mental gymnastics, granted, Joe's crazy. So there's that, okay? Sure. That's a separate thing. But just from, like, purely Joe's perspective, the mental gymnastics he has to do to justify saving her after that kind of lie that he catches her in. Yeah. That she then tries to convince him of even further... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then gives backstory for and then lashes out at him as he's trying to support her through dealing with it. Right. Right? Because Joe's kind of the the first person that's caught her in the lie. Yeah. And so he's being, quote unquote, his version of gracious about it. Yeah. Right? By trying to give her advice about it. Which, I mean, guys do this all the time, right? They mansplain your own problems to you and try to solve it. Yeah. When you're not asking for solutions, I'm fucking just trying to tell you 
something. That's true. I also want to acknowledge that I uh, am not a man, but I have a fixer's personality. <laughs> you do. And it's very hard for me to not um, solve your problems because you come to me and I'm like, great, let's think of some <laughs> solutions. Right. Yeah. So I get I'm not saying I empathize with Joe. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's the fixer. Right. But he does, he does, he, the way he even does it is very much, you know, reminiscent of the way a guy would usually do it. Yes. And so that's kind of what I mean. The way Mm -hmm. you fix is it, there's a different energy there. That's a different episode. And that's a different (laughs) fucking episode. Okay. So anyway, yeah. So I think even in her trying to reconcile the idea that joe knows about her the truth about her dad she lashes out at joe and she tells him basically who the fuck do you think you are well that's in someone someone is witnessing her shame right if we're going to bring up a brene brown concept (laughs) right like we love brene shame grows in spaces of darkness and secrecy correct and for her she has made that place so dark and so secret and now there's this light being shown on her deepest kind of shame not only that her dad was a drug addict and he moved on with a new family but also that her dad is so not intertwined with her life that she is able to maintain the lie so there's another added level of shame there and then there is the fact that she would lie about it and not just say the truth Right. Even though she comes across as this like liberal, progressive New York City writer, why can't I just speak truth to this thing that has nothing to do with her? Right. She wasn't the she wasn't addicted to drugs, but I think it also ruins how she sees herself. Right. And she's put in some fucking work to orchestrate how people perceive her and her entire life. Right. Yeah. Her like even through the Instagram, the or the social media that was shown uh, through Joe's eyes. Yeah. Right? All of it does, it is pretty, like, fucking particular. Right? She has a particular look to it. There's a particular vibe. There's, it's hyper-curated, right? It's very curated. Exactly. And so I, I agree in that that's part of the shame, in that it's definitely breaking that illusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think another thing is, too, is the amount of money she's getting from her dad. Right. Right. She's she's using him for money on top of that. Right. Right. Because she's using his guilt. Right. And getting her reparations in that sense. Yeah. Well, he's also using his guilt, too. Right. right I mean, yeah. they're in a shame cycle together. Is yeah, that absolutely. I overdosed. Let me fill the gap with money. I am a poor, struggling college student, so I need to accept the money. But in me accepting the money, it is me co-signing the fact that this is an okay way for you to say sorry. Correct. And now I don't know how to cycle and I don't know how to say that I still want an apology because I'm accepting your money. And it's almost like I'm accepting this money in lieu of a real apology. Right. So I feel weird about asking for an apology because I'm accepting this financial. Right. And like, she's also showing up, right? She's accepting the money. She's showing up to things. She's trying to half in, half out. Well, people have a, Lots of people have that relationship with their parents. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Before we move on to Act 3, I do want to kind of touch on how everybody in Beck's life understands love as possession. In that Mm. how... Because we we understand love when it's reflected back to us, right? Which is why, like, the way that our parents loved us is the way that we understand love now, even as adults. And for her, her dad's... or Peach's love is certainly possessive. Joe's love is certainly possessive. And her dad's love is in some ways possessive in that it's or it's it's built on duty. Hmm. Right? I need to give you money because I'm your daughter. I need to allow my wife to mistreat you and speak down to you because she's my wife. And that's what that's the right thing to do and it it just has a strange flavor to it yeah i would i would challenge her dad as being possessive in that i think it's it's definitely rooted in guilt right and it's definitely rooted in him trying to create 
he's trying to create a, a new illusion of a family. Right. Like he's creating this picture and this perfect family and this perfect life. And he's trying to fit her who, who wasn't molded in that environment into it. And I don't think it feels more apologetic and it feels more riddled in. It just, yeah, it feels more riddled in guilt than it does in possessiveness. Because the thing is, is that that is the one relationship in Beck's life that she could completely just, she could deny all opportunities of possession, period. She could. She. What do you mean? In the sense of, like, she could cut him off. She, he could just be dead. If she wants to really, like, yeah. maintain the lie that he's dead, she could just say he's dead and be done. Yeah. I mean, she could technically do that for everybody. No, absolutely. I'm just saying she had already created... She had the building blocks. The structure. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The structure. yeah, yeah. I acknowledge that. You know what I mean? So it would be easier for her to cut him off and to not have to participate in that. Because she's already kind of doing it. Because she's already kind of doing it. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. Whereas I think everyone else, you are, cor- you are correct. It is very possessive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even with, with Peach specifically, right? It's the fact that Peach has what Beck wants, mm-hmm. right? The the job, the dream job, the status, right, right. the house, the money, the the yeah. connections, right? Right. Uh, and Peach knows that that's what Beck wants. Yeah, and she's weaponizing her insecurities. Oh, absolutely. And there's also the other thing that isn't really addressed very much, but the fact that Peach is in love with Beck. Yeah, they kind of they kind of skirt around it as a way to explain it. I actually think it would be more interesting if she wasn't attracted to Beck in that that stuff happens between friends. Correct. Period. Yep. And sometimes there isn't you know what I mean? I almost feel like it's a way to explain away why she's doing it when I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to happen amongst female friends just based on jealousy of being someone I want to be. Correct. You know, I think that totally happens. I think that happens more often than the oh, version absolutely. in which yeah, I mean, Peach it's... is in love with Beck. Yeah, I think the Peach is in love with Beck aspect of it makes it more sinister. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know Very, what I mean? Um, What's it called? The, the, what was the film? Um, very. Where she boils the bunny. Yo, I don't know. You have no what idea. is this filmography of yours? What is happening? Oh, dang it. What bunny is being fucking boiled? Bunny boiling. Bunny <laughs> boiling movie. What? I'm, I'm Googling it. Fatal Attraction. There we go. Jesus, Mary, Angela. Okay, yeah. Okay. Fatal, yeah. fatal oh, Attraction. Yeah, okay. I've never watched it, but I... Speaking of Fatal I... Attraction, Act 3, called HIPAA Violations. <laughs> <laughs> These act names, 10 out of 10. Okay, so as we left off in Act 2, Peach is dead. Joe has framed it as a suicide. So... After Peach dies, Joe and Beck are doing great. They're having a lot of great sex, and they're eating a lot of Thai food. All of a sudden, Beck starts getting moody and distant. Joe blames the distance on Dr. Nikki, which is a therapist that Beck started seeing after Peach died, and she wanted to deal with her grief. Interesting. And so he assumes that Beck must be sleeping with her therapist, and Beck catches him following her to her therapy appointment and breaks it off because it's weird. So to get closer to Dr. Nikki, Joe becomes his new patient, and he talks to Dr. Nikki about Beck, but he ends up he starts changing details and names, but he is talking to him about Beck. And after the session, he breaks into his computer and listens to Beck's therapy sessions. And he finally hears Beck saying things like, I want to be alone. I need space. I need time to heal. And so now Joe finally agrees with Beck and takes a step back. Interesting. That that is what finally... Once a man talks to Beck Beck about about her needing space, space. then it's reasonable. Right, but if Beck just... talks about it on her own which she has expressed to him right it doesn't count though right exactly he needs to find it himself to then realize it himself correct yeah because if she tells him it doesn't count it's complicated (laughs) 
So finally, both Joe and Beck move on. Joe starts dating a new woman named Karen, who is a sassy queen. Beck's writing career starts taking off because of the personal essay she wrote after Peach's death. And Joe and Beck run into each other at a food truck. They start texting. They start fucking. And then they get back oh together. God. So obviously, Karen is pissed, which is now right. Joe's ex-girlfriend. But she does go out of her way to find Beck in front of her apartment and basically said that I feel sorry for you because something is wrong with Joe. Which is really where Beck gets her first inkling of like, ooh. Right, something is fucking up. Exactly. Yeah, because in what world does your ex-boyfriend's now ex-girlfriend come to you knowing that you guys are cheating? Yeah. And isn't spiteful as fuck and mad any and man that has a million crazy ex-girlfriends friends. is the crazy one yeah yeah yeah, absolutely 10 times out of 10 yeah but the fact that karen comes to her and is like i pity you oh my god yo that shit hits different it's one thing <laughs> come at me i want to kick my fucking ass like fight me bitch mm-hmm. that's one energy that's an expected energy yeah right that's e- like normal can you imagine pity but if someone came at me and was like, oh, I'm honey. so sorry for you. He's like not a something's wrong. But yeah. if you want to keep fucking that, that's fine. Oh, yikes. You know what I mean? Like, why am I getting triggered? <laughs> I don't know why I'm also getting triggered as I'm saying it. But like, you know what I mean? Like, if someone comes at you in that sense, how do you not get sus or suspicious? I, sh- I can say the whole word. How do you not? <laughs> I've been playing too much Among Us. Please yeah, forgive yeah. me. Um, and yeah, so how do you not get suspicious of that entire situation of Joe, of everything? And it takes pity before Beck finally starts to put things together. Yeah. And it takes Karen, who Beck essentially fucked over. Yo, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, if Karen wanted to... to scream at her yell at her maybe even fight her i don't think the physical violence is ever the solution regardless of what's happening Mm -hmm. but it would be understandable correct right and so for her to have such a different reaction speaks to really what's going on or the things that could be going on that beck cannot see and you were bringing up the other night when we were trying to plan this right that when you're in a relationship sometimes it's the feedback from people around you that cue you in correct to what's happening in your relationship that you may not be able to see you know yeah because even if you have shitty friends your shitty friends know more about you than whatever this new guy is yeah doing like they know more just on pure time and energy all of it they may be unsupportive and catty but they'll likely still see what's going on yeah and they have a better perspective to actually tell you what's going on for sure so if your friends are like yo fuck this guy maybe you should say fuck this guy well not literally don't fucking fuck yeah, yeah you know what i mean you know what I mean? well I, you know i take back what i said previously about the possession and i think now i will say that what i notice is a pattern of abuse of power in her male relationships right because dr nikki this is the ultimate abuse of power this is uh, yeah, this yeah, yeah, yeah. is weaponizing your place in this person's life and one breaking the law and two you know all her deepest darkest secrets and it is a phenomenon that you start to get sexual attraction or attraction to your therapist i mean it is it is a known happening yeah and it is a therapist's job with their training to navigate that situation, right? Not to abuse this person in their vulnerable state when you are likely the only person who are they, they are opening up to. That's what HIPAA laws are for. So you have that with her therapist. Then you have Joe, which is completely breaking her privacy, right? Manipulating her into being a version of himself that he knows that she's that she is attracted to because he has so deeply entrenched himself in her online presence stealing his phone right so in some ways she's he's just telling her exactly what he already knows that she wants to hear and then you have her dad who knows that she's a struggling college student and who knows that she's really in pain about all the things Mm -hmm. that he did to her and so let me give you money right let me make let me give you money so that you feel better well, but also so that you. you feel bad about holding me accountable because I'm giving you money. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's create. Yeah, again, guilt. Right. 
Yes. And Peach, actually. Everybody and everybody. Peach. Everybody. Because she be... knows that she's more connected. She knows that she has more money. And so it's like, I get to... I get to treat you however I want. Because you're always going to be indebted to me because right. I'm always there to, ca- to catch the slack in your right. life. Right. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's what Joe's doing too, right? Is yeah, catching yeah. the slack. I mean, he's he's perceiving things as slack. Right. And maybe he's not even wrong, right. but he's taking it to extremes to cut it and to solve it for her. Right. Yeah. Everyone's kind of just taking liberties with her life oh yeah she's an absolute doormat absolute doormat is she more of a doormat than bella (gasps) yes yes really yeah why i feel like bella has bella makes some stupid ass decisions right but i feel like she makes she makes them with agency sure i feel like she's not guilted into them she's not indebted what were her two choices i want to fuck you before we get married (laughs) yeah i want to be a vampire. a vampire. A vampire. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. well, I want to graduate college or I want to graduate high school. That was like her thing is that like we can't do this stuff. We can't do anything before I graduate high school because I want to. No, no, that that was a concession to her previous desire, oh, that's which right. was fuck high school. Fuck Get high me school. out of here. I just want to be a blood sucking n- nympho. No, she wasn't. We're going to cut that. We're going to cut that. Cut that, please. (laughs) Jesus. No, but like, yeah. So the point is, is that like, I think Beck is more of a doormat because Beck is stepping back from all agency and going, I don't know what I want. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what I want. I don't know like what I want to do with my life. And uh, a lot of things are happening. Well, to to be to be an advocate, right, that that, to to be a victim advocate (laughs) since Joe is. Or not Joe, since Beck is, as we'll learn in Act 4, dead. That is okay. It is okay to have no idea what you want. She is not making these overt grand promises to people. No. She's just a girl figuring it out, and everybody around her refuses to allow her to be. Well, everyone around her can see that and is weaponizing it. Right, right, right. It's not like they're, like, not allowing her to do that. It's more of they're capitalizing on it. Yeah, but e- even as someone energy. witnessing it, right, it does make you critical of something that is totally a normal thing to watch. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, yeah. Because we don't know, right? Like, like right, I don't know. But totally I think know. being critical of it and then acting upon, taking it upon yourself to then change it. <laughs> sure. Very different. I think we all can be critical of it. I think that's something we all do, predator or not, right? When we see someone who doesn't seem to be taking life by by the balls, lack of a better term here, Mm -hmm. but we we can all be critical of it. Just the same as when we know we're not doing that, when we're not not being our best selves and we're not Mm -hmm. really killing it at life, Mm -hmm. we know that that's how people see us. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, so that's, that's completely normal and okay. You can... Th- both yeah. sides of those of that coin is absolutely okay. What's not okay is when you take that criticism a step further and go, let me fix it. Right. Let me fix it for you. Well, especially without asking. Yeah, yeah, without asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consent yeah, yeah, yeah. is sexy. Consent yeah. is important. It's hot, hot, hot. Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In literally everything. Mm-hmm. Not just the bedroom. Exactly. Thank you. You mean uh, when you're going to become a, a bedroom assistant? Stop it right now. <laughs> Let that term die right fucking now. I won't. Now we're getting into Act 4. Oh. Uh, ghosts of Girlfriend's Past. Ooh. So throughout the show, we've caught glances of Joe's ex-girlfriend, Candace, who kind of looks like a hot topic manager. But we find out... <laughs> she does. I'm sorry, I can't. She does. Okay, we find out that she's been uh, cheating on him with a guy from her record label. And so Joe ends up pushing him off the balcony and killing him when he confronts him. So after the warning from Karen and Joe's general squirrely behavior, whenever she brings up Candace, Beck begins her own investigation. And she finds out that no one has seen or heard from Candace since she broke up with Joe and supposedly and supposedly moved to Europe. She confronts Joe, but he denies any wrongdoing. And then, in a fateful turn of events, Joe finds out and gets confirmation that Beck was indeed sleeping with Dr. Nakey. And he confronts her, and then Beck says some shit about, I didn't know how to need you, 
and I just wanted you so bad, and it was oh so my scary. Fucking God. Oh and I love my you, God. and that's why I cheated, and I'm so sorry. So they make up, and they go back to having great sex and Thai food. So while Joe's out of the apartment, Beck finds a box above Joe's ceiling in the bathroom with what I can only describe as a serial killer memento box, and it has it has a trophy. Yes, there are her phone, Benji's phone, Peach's phone, teeth, underwear, a used. Tamon. This guy just for the listeners, she popped up like a gopher. The first time I saw that shit, I lost my mind. I lost my mind. Did we see him steal that? No. Okay, because we do we know whose it is. That's what even makes it crazier. Right. It's like how how long? It's just a loose used tampon. It's a loose. If there's no wrapper, there's nothing. Anyway, I saw that and I was like, yo, the level of fucking, what the fuck are you using that for? Why is that, why is that what you took? Why? Just explain it to me. Okay, so you're yikes. Beck is also yikes. And she's like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. But Joe realizes that he's been had, knocks her on the ground. She wakes up in the book vault. So we're, we're coming full circle. Oh, that's the wrong. <laughs> that was the wrong sound. That's not what I meant. So Beck now realizes that Joe is an absolute psychopath, so she's at a loss for what to do, and so she decides to try to get in his good side and suggests that he frame all his murders on Dr. Nikki, and they can ride off into the sunset, and they're going to fall in love, and la la la. She lures him into the book vault, slams the door, and she thinks that she is about to make her great escape, but Joe has an extra key in his pocket, unlocks the door, kills Beck. Boom. And so in the final episode, we learn that Joe took Beck's idea about framing Dr. Nikki, yeah. and he actually did it, right? Hides Beck's body at his property, hides the box of mementos, makes the whole trail. And so now, now Dr. Nikki is being arrested for all of Joe's murders. And so the show ends in the exact same way that it begins. A girl walks in, Joe looks at her, wonders what she's about. She walks around the bookshelves, takes off her hoodie, and now this is the correct tone. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Candace. <laughs> Back at it again. Yes. And she's like, we have some unfinished business. And you're like, oh, did he leave the cash register open at Hot Topic? And you're now you're coming to tell him that he has to close it? <laughs> Yo, she really does, though. She looks like a fucking Hot Topic manager. She looks how I thought I wanted to look when I was 12. Yeah. I, I was mean, like, if I Listen, look like that when I grow up, oh my God. Yeah. No, I was like, that was my whole vibe. Yeah. Except yeah, yeah. it was a choker and not a locket. It was just a different energy. Fair enough. It's frustrating, but also a little weirdly satisfying that jo- that Beck was actually sleeping with Dr. Nikki. Mm. In that, it's frustrating that Joe was correct. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Stop being right about everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be yeah. wrong and be just an asshole for once. Well, because then he can... The Justify fact that he ends things. up being right is what stops him from seeing himself for what he really is. Right. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It feeds into it, right? Which is frustrating in general. Yeah. What's oddly satisfying is, like, seeing seeing how like all of those things are are absolutely true and he's starting to and it's starting to break the illusion he has of beck Mm. it breaks that illusion of beck right and in doing that while i mean unfortunately ends up in her in her death right but in theory right if it would if he wasn't a murderer that breaking that illusion would make it then more possible for her to escape. Because she's just a flawed human being. Human being that he can't save. Right. Right. The conclusion is he cannot save her. Right. Which means she's a lost cause, which means he should move on. Well, let's let's ground it in a little bit of reality, right? Like, this knight in shining armor... In order to be a knight in shining armor, you need to have a princess. Right? Which I think you cannot help but mold your understanding of them in a hyper curated way right so even their shortcomings as joe did with beck is just a product of their environment they just don't have the right tools to become the person that they know them to be right it's not that they are inherently flawed and these are just issues that they have there are things that are creating this if i just mold the environment around them 
then they can flourish almost like a garden, right? And then you have this elevated sense of self and this kind of God complex about, I am the hands that spin gold, right? essentially, right? But it's all based on, it's fragile. It's a fallacy, which is why any little thing can shatter it. Can shatter it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Beck and Joe. Oh, Beck and Joe. Yeah, before we get on to um, our game segment, I do have a question for you. Yeah? If you were a serial killer, what kind of mementos would you keep? <gasps> oh, that's a good question. I know. That's why I asked that. Uh, fuck it. <laughs> oh, my God. Insufferable. Insufferable. Um, I think I would keep shit like earrings and... You're keeping like personal shit. Yeah. Well, I'm keeping personal shit. Well, I'm a woman, right? So I'm mm-hmm. keeping personal shit that like could pass off. I could pass off as my own. Oh, are you wearing it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm wearing it. That's all the way. Sure, but like I feel like that's convincing. I'm protecting sure. myself. Very in that um sense. very Okay. Yeah, I get that. You know what I mean? It's like a it's 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 twofold. It's me showing off my trophy and then also me keeping myself out of jail. Mm. yeah and i get satisfaction from how like that keeps me out of jail i don't like this conversation i feel like i have (laughs) this is okay i'm learning things about me today very golden state killer of you i think i (laughs) (laughs) uh if you haven't noticed yet hina is a murderino i won't go on to a tangent of uh the golden state killer but i will say that i think i'm keeping I think here's my critique of serial killers is that <laughs> my one and only critique yeah, the only is, one. is that they always keep like really obscure or it's just like small, tiny things. Right. Cause their thought is like, it's small. I can hide it. No, no, no. I say go the extreme option. I'm taking a couch. Yo, but I'm like, okay. taking okay. a TV. I'm reinventing the, the concept of the memento from okay, these small like, manageable the items the to issue. large your KitchenAid mixer. Wait, but DNA I'm taking exists. your air fryer. Also, don't touch my fucking KitchenAid Well, that's mixer. why I'm, I'm using like- things that I'm going to actually put to use, right? They would be completely blended. It's not a little box. It's not a whatever. They're not even special. They're tools that I use every day, <laughs> oh right? I'm God. taking your casserole dishes. Oh I'm God. taking your muffin tins. <laughs> I'm taking your airtight container. You're taking the juicer. Right, exactly. Right? <laughs> and I would just have it boldly, just right on my just kitchen. Just on the counter. You think the detective is ever going to think, I bet that that juicer is a memento <laughs> from, from their dead, dead victims? No way. Oh, my God. I feel like I just, like, really unlocked a whole series. There's, like, going to be a whole new generation of serial killers that are stealing furniture. Yeah, no, we fucked. And we, kitchen we, goods. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Damn, I really hope uh, there aren't any potential serial killers listening to this podcast. That's exciting. But that would be exciting is a word. We're moving. We're making moves. We're making waves. Yes, yes. We have a legacy. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Moving on. Welcome to The Beauty and the Cynic, a segment where Hina and I get to lean into how we see relationships. And if we're being honest... You know, life. Bless. I tend to romanticize everything. I don't. I don't. I don't ever. No. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. If you were looking for a Cliff Notes version of Joe and Beck from two very different perspectives, this is for you. I'll go first. Um, I'm curious. Oh. This is a particularly hard one, right? Because how do you romanticize this relationship i'm curious yeah so for me joe and beck are idyllic in like pretty stereotypical ways like she's pretty and smart a little troubled a sunny disposition a bit bookish you know what i mean pursuing her dreams to be a writer in new york city yeah (laughs) i love this broad this broadway rendition of it yes keep going i'm doing my best uh joe is hot did I say hot? Yeah. I meant hot. XOXO, gossip girl. Hot. <laughs> He's mysterious, uh, unconventional. He doesn't have like social media or mm-hmm. any of that stuff. It's like too new new age for him. Yeah. Uh, it's also a miracle he has a phone if that's his fucking way of going through life. Right. He still has um, a pink razor. Right. 
that was fucking iconic though so oh yeah, yeah i sure. agree uh he's unapologetically old-fashioned chivalry ain't dead y'all is probably on his fucking tombstone that's like, true no cap uh so of course they have a meet cute in mm-hmm. joe's dingy yet comfy bookstore yeah they bond over their admittedly elitist book tastes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And it's fucking elitist as right. hell. From like line one. Well, that's how you bond with others is by putting other people down. Right. You gotta you gotta eviscerate a random human yeah, being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your enemies. To bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Beck is at her lowest, when her life is literally on the line, Joe is there to save her. Hmm. Joe is always there to save her. Creeper professor trying to cop a feel. Joe is just a phone call away. Be there in 15. Like, yeah, strand- yeah. like fucking, <laughs> he's there, right? Yeah. And stranded at a renaissance fair with her father that's supposed to be dead. And, like, they're- his nauseatingly perfect family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe's back at it again. Yeah. <laughs> Showing up, right? Uh, one's another example. Like, he is. he's just always a phone call away. Yeah. No matter what, right? He's connected in, like, the highest degree. The highest degree. And she just doesn't understand how connected. strange. Right. How Well, how strange, but, like, how deep it really goes, right? Yeah. She thinks it's just happy circumstance, and he's just, like, just so in tune with her. And they have such a connection that, like, he's just anticipating this shit, all this stuff. Uh, And for a woman like Beck, like... Joe was the read a book in bed, mysterious, like sexy problem solver mm-hmm. that treated her better than everyone else in her life, right? Because yep. everyone else in her life kind of talked down to her, kind of just treated her as kind of like a project mm-hmm. to be fixed. We we there's an entire episode before this segment yeah, that yeah. goes over that. Uh but yeah. And so for Beck, Joe was like a bye bye fuckboys, hello Joe Goldberg moment yeah, yeah. in the sense of like he made her his end-all be-all in a way that she had never been before and unfortunately for beck like he won't die for you but you can bet your ass he'd kill would you say that then she got to have the storied fairy tale from the books that she wanted to write oh absolutely that's what she kept trying to write and it wasn't until she started tapping into her different trauma through her dad or through Peach yeah. that she started being noticed as a writer. Because she kept trying to write fucking fairy tales. Because that's what she was trying to create in her own life. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's the part of yourself that's always the most relatable, right? Is your most traumatic and like darkest parts of yourself is the parts that people say, Hey, I see you. Yeah. I feel that. I connect to that. Yeah. But in that sense, like their love was perfect Mm. and it functioned perfectly but Mm. joe just took it too far all right you got me that was good i didn't know if you were going to be able to do it hey i i i pull through sometimes fair enough okay well (laughs) kids not now that you're done with that trash (laughs) excuse you i am a trash panda we're cute but we're trash yeah so I decided to go very cynical and I am thinking of Joe as a regular Joe in that is he any different than the average person and is this just is this because I think it's clear that this is like the fantasy of how regular people's behavior stalking people on social media can grow and take on a life of its own and become more extreme but is it more extreme in the behavior obviously the murder right but the creeping on people's social media the pretending to care about things that you don't care about the getting along with friends even though you think that they suck the you know little comments or supportive speeches that you'll give to someone even though that you don't you don't think that they made the right choice or you don't think they're really taking very condescending right they're not being accountable yeah like is that a whole lot different from what we do and do we just wish do we think of our behavior as less creepy and weird than it really is like is this far more relatable than we really want to acknowledge 
I think is my point. And I was thinking about a joke from Chris Rock when I was writing this. And he has a joke about dating early on. And he says that you, when you first go on a date with someone, you don't meet them. You meet their representative. And I think that that's true. And I think regardless of how self-assured you are, we are all doing a lot of what Joe is doing. Of course, I'm not saying the stalking and the murdering. But if you just take that off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's only those two things. It's curating your life. Right. To be hyper desirable to you. Right. You're you're customizing yourself. Yes. To this person. And I think because we don't need to say those things out loud, I think it's really easy to say that, oh, that's not what my internal monologue sounds like. But is it not? Yo, it's like me suddenly liking basketball. Right. With my ex. <laughs> I don't fucking like basketball. I yeah. don't watch basketball. I have yeah. no interest in basketball. Is it fun to other people? Probably. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Sure, obviously. I mean, there's fans. <laughs> right. Yeah, like they exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But like, I don't watch it. It's yeah. going back and forth on a court. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I just, it's on my vibe. And so here's the difference that I'm delineating between Joe and regular people. Okay. I think, so obviously I'm not considering the stalking and the murdering. That's off the table, but everything else. Here's what I think is the difference. I think the difference is that normal people take it one step further to convince themselves that this is really something that they want to do and it isn't manipulative and curated. I think that Joe just stops one step before and he doesn't do the extra work. Oh, he doesn't try to like sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to do the mental gymnastics of like, oh, really? I just never gave basketball a chance. Or like, I just like never really understood sports. But like now that you're explaining it, I really like it. He doesn't even bother. He just stays. He's more honest with himself about what he's doing than we are. Because we're like, oh, no, 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 I this is genuine. I really like it. And he's like, no, 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 you like sports, so I'm going to like sports. You like makeup, <laughs> right. so, so I'm, I'm going to become like a YouTube, YouTube guru. Right, yeah. Only for you. I don't care. That's what love is about. He doesn't bother to be like, oh, really? I'm just like really getting into my creative expression. I think James Charles Right, he doesn't give himself excuses. No. He just does it. Right. And that's... Is he, is he living out loud more than we <laughs> Oh, ever my could? God. Probably. Right? And so, Which is probably how he can get to murder. Right. You know what I mean? That's how he can jump to murder. It's, it's because more black and white. It's more, his life is black and white. Right. Versus our lives are black and white and then there's shades of gray. Right. So let's go even more cynical. Let's go one step further. Right. Joe wants Beck to be the light of his life. And so he digs really, really deep. And at some point, the illusion starts to fade. Correct. And things start to shatter. Is that not what we avoid to stop love from shattering? That like sometimes you need to have rose-colored glasses in a relationship to I don't I'm not even talking about particular relationships. I just mean in relationships of like you need to not see the bad parts of them. I mean, that's the entire like honeymoon phase. Willing That's the honeymoon phase. Yeah. That's literally what I'm they saying call it that. at all. No, no, no. I know. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're saying. I think what I'm trying to say. In addition, is that that is with the honeymoon phase and what we choose to do right. is because I think we're all, I think in general, people are pretty conscious when they're in that phase, right? Mm-hmm. It's just so well known and like talked about and yeah. experienced, right? It's pretty much with everyone. Mm-hmm. It's what happens after that phase and the excuses and the stories that we tell ourselves to mm-hmm. convince ourselves those glasses didn't come, that those glasses came off when they didn't. Yeah. It's that. Mm. And that's kind of what we try to hold on to instead of looking at the honeymoon phase and going, these are the really positive things that we should continue doing, but we did sugarcoat or there were things that we weren't addressing. So let's address them. Yeah. (laughs) Right. There's like, we just kind of go, well, that was fantastic. And then like, just keep the glasses on and then Mm -hmm. pretend the good stuff carried over and the bad stuff didn't. Right. Because now we're like committed. Now we're like in a relationship. We're a couple. Like we're established. Yeah. And now we're just kind of like going through life and like it's our growing pains or whatever the fuck. And 
the huge the red flags that you were seeing don't really matter because like we got through the honey phase we're on the the honey the honeymoon phase we're on the other side of it yeah we're trudging so here's my closing cynical question thought is it possible for love to exist under a microscope and if not does that mean for us to make relationships work we have to never look in the microscope. It's hard for me not to romanticize that. What do you mean? In the sense of like, if it's if you're looking at love through a microscope, right? It's love if you can look past, or like, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I know it's nauseating. I get it. I yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah. I'm aware. Uh, but yeah, is it? Like, I think that's how you can differentiate between what is love and what is not. I disagree. I think okay. I think that that is the fantasy of romantics. I think if you are, I think I'm making the argument from Joe. I mean, we're still in the show. I'm not <laughs> even saying that I believe all of this. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what we learned through Joe is that if you are not disillusioned by looking in the microscope, you're not looking in the microscope. Right. Mm-hmm. That it's like inherent. That you you do not want to be doing what Joe is doing, right? In terms of taking a real inventory of everyone's move, everyone's choices, everyone's decisions. To truly take a microscope to love is to not want it anymore. In the same way that if someone... There's a difference between someone intimately knowing you and someone taking a microscope to you. That's true. And I think you can know someone intimately without taking a microscope to them, which is why I think that you should be open and honest in relationships. But do I think that you need to literally tell everyone every thought that ever runs through your head? I don't think a relationship works, could work in that space. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And to me, that's the microscope of no mystery, no, like 100% transparency. Can any relationship survive 100% transparency, which is different than 100% honesty? That is different. And it hits different too. Okay. Yeah. All right. I also want to preface this by saying that I'm in a loving three-year relationship and I love my boyfriend <laughs> very much. And I'm um, the single one. So yeah, let's talk about that. Like, that I sounds suppose. really let's harsh. Let's give like, fucking context there. Yeah, no. <laughs> She's the one in a loving three-year relationship. I'm the one who's just a single trash panda trying to figure her life out. It's fun or whatever. A trash panda. We're going back to 2007. We are. And you know what? They're fantastic and iconic and I'm not yeah. letting it go. Bless. Uh, well, thanks for joining us on our first episode yeah, of Parasocial. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been fun. It's been exciting. And episode two, next week. Next week? I'm not going to say next week. Don't, give, them, two, don't give us a timeline. Don't give any promises. Okay, yeah. Episode two, we are going to be covering season two of Which Love. Love and Joe. Yes. I said season two, two of, of Love. love. That's why I meant I was season two of it. You, to, where Joe to... falls in love I, with, with Love. Jesus. The character's name. Right, because yes. that's not fucking confusing. Right. Thank you, show writers. Well, that's true love, is when you fall in love with love. You have time. Binge the season. I think we are all collectively disappointed in the joke that you just made. <laughs> but yes, you have time. Binge yeah. the season. We'll be back soon. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Where are you going? You don't leave at the end of a Marvel movie. Before you do anything else, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr at Angst. You can tell us what you think about the episode, write Hina love letters. What can I say? I'm a Leo. I run on praise and adoration. But you can send Momo your original fan fiction. She lives for that shit. I do live for that shit. But until next time. Have a snack. Call your therapist. As bona fide professionals, we have to give you the disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Not to mention that everything we say in this show is a reflection of our own personal views and does not necessarily reflect the views of Daydreamer Network. Precisely. For example, we think Buffy should have ended up with Angel. Daydreamer might be on Team Spike. That's not our business. Listen at your own risk.